0: Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today's Trinity Sunday. Anybody know that? Uh, I mean, Ryan knows that. Slade knows Trinity Sunday in our in our setting, so many times as Protestants, we don't even know what Trinity Sunday is. So, uh, but Trinity Sunday for a long, long time now, I've been trying to help us walk through right Advent. You you're with me? Advent, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, and at least us as Pentecostals, we go, yeah, we're in Pentecost. But the truth of the matter is, is the calendar brings us to this Sunday that is historically called Trinity Sunday. And the best way I knew to try to help this morning was to realize that. If you've got that slide, uh, there's an old icon, Rubloff I- I- icon of the Trinity, and you're going to see three persons in there. You see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and throughout the uh, liturgical calendar, we begin to recognize that the Father sent the. Okay, you're going to have to talk to back to me. The Father sent the. And then the Holy Spirit, right? So that God is three persons in one. That God is a God who is made God by relationship. And that after we've come through Advent, Epiphany, Lent, uh, Easter, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit last week as we celebrate this story, uh, and we mark time by how God has revealed himself to humanity, not by the holidays that each nation decli- decides to Right? We mark time as kingdom people. And to realize that, that God is three in one. I, this slide, I wished it was up a little higher. Can you get the bottom of that slide for me? Uh, so you, you see the son in the center, the father on the left, the Holy Spirit on the right, and it's actually a celebration of uh, uh, Genesis chapter 18 of how the three came and sat with Abraham. Uh, can't get the bottom of the table. on, on, you're working on it. So the father, son, and the Holy Spirit, God is relational. In fact, you could say God is friendship. God is friendship. You do understand that in heaven, there'll be no marriages. There'll be no marriages in heaven, but guess what will continue in heaven? Friendship. Friendship. Can I just suggest to you that God himself is friendship? That's why he comes and says, I called you friend because you're going to be invited into to the Trinity. And I've got scholars here this morning that could say the Greek word that means the holy divine dance. And that salvitically we've been brought into this relationship of Trinity that we now take our place at the table. And, and I don't know whether you're going to be able to see it real well, but can you see right under the cup on the table? Do you see that cup? And then you see a little square down there that you can't really say anything on. Uh, Richard Rohr says that what that was was a mirror. Richard Rohr and other scholars say that there was a mirror there. So every time you came, can you see it? Every time you came in and looked at this picture that represented God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was somebody else that you saw. Want to guess who that was? If you look in the mirror, who do you see? You. So when you can see God as relational and not as rules and regulations, not as law... But when you see God as the epitome of what it means to be a friend and God the Father sent God the Son who died for our sins so that then he would send his spirit so that we would be embraced and so that every time you come into the presence of God you see Father, Son, Holy Spirit and you. And that you live in that relationship. That you live as a friend of God. That you live in the embrace of God. So, before you just debunked uh, the historical, liturgical, sacramental, ancient, traditional church, let me say to you they're pretty wise. That they know how to remind you of the advent of the birth from a virgin. They know how to remind you of the miracles done through the baptism, the experience of the Christ as the miracle working prophet. They know how to tell you about the death, the burial, the resurrection, and last week the coming of the Spirit, and like that theologian that I love, Breslin, ta-da! Now you're sitting at the table with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the family. That's Trinity Sunday. Hallelujah. Go to your neighbor and say, can you see yourself? They got it. Good. It's my favorite icon, it hangs in the chapel, and uh, those of you that don't like icons, take another look. This morning I'm going to go to the, the book of Acts, and because I wasn't here to preach on Pentecost Sunday and I'm deeply Pentecostal, I'm going to just tag right back, because though I'm liturgically sound and I'm historically acquainted, I'm also emotionally involved and I love Acts. So the book of Acts chapter two, I'm going to read a few verses and then I'm going to go to John three because I've got Slade here and I want to impress him in the fact that I do follow the lectionary if I want to. <laughs> acts chapter two, but Peter, look at your name and say, but Peter, <laughs> you know, every time you see that, but that means nobody else did, but Peter's standing up. I just want you to know nobody else stood up. Everybody else just sat there. They didn't know what to do. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. These are not drunk, as you suppose. Since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, say men and women, man, the 21st century could learn something both on men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever, say whoever, calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then the gospel of John, stand with me for just a couple of minutes. I'm just going to read two verses. If you get a chance to read the entire third chapter of John, but verse 16 and 17, that you all know, if you could say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Father, I pray that you anoint my mouth and their ears. I pray that you open our hearts to be forever changed by the gospel. Amen. You may be seated. I remember many, many years ago uh, I was preaching in a service that actually got done and I was standing in front of the service this woman ran up to me and she says, I have a revelation. And I said, really? What's the revelation? She said, you see that man back there? I said, yes ma'am, I see that man. He has a spirit of lust on him. Now we're from Kansas, right? We, we understand that our identity is wrapped up in the jeans we wear. Right? I mean, I stood out in, in uh, Dunham, and I stood in T.S., whatever, and i, I looking for, because if you're, if you're from Kansas, we invented jeans before the New Yorkers cut holes in them, right? We, uh, I just want you to understand, I keep watching these people paying buying lucky jeans. Lucky what? We wear Levi's in Kansas. Well, lucky, true. you know. Uh, but, but I mean, Terry and I were talking yesterday about when I got a hole in my jean, my grandmother went and got that square patch, yeah. you know, the one you couldn't bend. Yeah put it on your knee and you walk like this all the time because you could uh, jeans we're jean people right Kansas uh, uh, that boy has a spirit of lust on him and I looked at her and I said he does not I said we all know he wears his jeans high and tight honey the spirit of lust is on you <laughs> you'll get it in a minute hang in there there's a huge difference between observation yes. and revelation Most people mistake their ability to observe what's around them as revelation. No, revelation doesn't come from your ability to see what's happening in the natural. Revelation is a divine impartation of information that you could not otherwise have unless the Spirit of God had shared it with you. There's a huge difference between observation and revelation. And in the church, many people try to Uh, pass off uh, the ability to observe like a mentalist on TV revelation. is not the same. We have to understand that on the day of Pentecost there were a lot of eyes that were opened. That with the coming of the Holy Spirit the potential to live in the revelation of the Almighty is now available to everyone and not just a select That when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within humanity, what it does is connect them with the invisible in such a way that they're no longer reading what they observe, but they're receiving what is truth behind it. Peter jumps up on this day and says, it's not what you suppose. It's not what it looks like. These people are not drunk. It's not what you think. It's not what you have assumed. Uh, No, it's more than that. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I I talked about Peter. and I have to recap Peter in order to get it. I would never have chosen Peter. Uh, If it were me, he would not have been on the list of the top of the apostles. He certainly wouldn't have been the leader of the free world. It would never, or church, never would have happened. I would never... It never you gotta But he had it, whatever it is, right? Annie has it. I but whatever that thing is that you see in someone and you oh yeah, you're the one. Obviously Peter had it and I talked to you a little bit about how, you know, he's the only dude that let him borrow the boat, right? You know, it's kind of like, can I borrow your car? No, I, but but Peter let him borrow his boat, which was his livelihood. You know, you, I know you ain't borrowing my tools. I know what you do with them. I know how you take care of yours. That's why you don't. Have but we miss this reality that it's more than about the boat, right? That the boat is a metaphor for something else. That the boat represents your way of thinking. That the boat represents the way you've been walking and talking and living. It's your normal. This is how you are. And, and, And here, I'll let you borrow my personality. I'll let you borrow my boat. I'll let you borrow my life on Sundays between 9 and 10.30. But the rest of it's mine. I'll let you. Once in a while, I'll let you in. Uh, see, uh, the boat is metaphorical for the identity of Peter, but the minute he allowed Peter to borrow the boat, then a transformation began to take place, and, and Christ began to work on Simon that he might become Peter. And he began to remake this fisherman because yeah, he let him borrow it, and he, he, he began to move into that reality. And, and But it ain't normal. It wasn't normal for a man to let him Borrow the boat. I mean, it, it wasn't normal to step over into this. And you know, the old saying goes that you can take uh, <laughs> you can take the boat away from the man, but you can't take the boat out of the man. That he, you you can move him from the lake, but you can't quite get him. Christ borrowed the boat of Peter uh, and stepped into it. And uh, you know, the next time. He got in at that time, and he began to teach. The next time he got in the boat, it would be to float across the sea so that he could reach. The first time he steps into the boat, it's so that he can teach. The second time he steps into the boat, it's so that he can reach. And while he's using your boat, he reveals to you that sometimes who you associate with will bring great storms into your life. I mean, you borrowed my boat last time, and we had a great catch, I let you borrow it this time, and I'm having to face this storm. Thanks a lot. See if I let you borrow my boat again. Least I got blessed the last time. This time I'm. Don't you care that we're perishing? I mean, he only said what other people were thinking. <laughs> this is scary. You see, to begin a relationship with Christ is traumatic. To begin a relationship with Christ is trauma. It'll bring you out of your boat, out of your comfort zone, it'll bring you out of those things that you, and it'll begin a transition, and what we forget is that when we lead someone into a relationship with Christ, it's scary, and it's uncomfortable. That's why many people have never grown beyond, yes, I accept you, because to move any further with the Lord will, it's traumatic we always think about trauma as being the results of a bad thing. No, trauma is the results of a bad thing now trying to become good. It's the results of good things as well as bad. And Peter begins this journey. You know, it it dawns on me, the Lord really didn't need his boat. He could have stood on the water. He really didn't need his boat to get across the sea. He could have walked, right? And once Peter realized he really didn't need the boat, he goes, let me play. Let me walk, right? Once Peter realized he didn't really need the boat, he could do it himself, then let me do what he does. I don't, he got in the boat a couple of times and Peter realized we really don't need the boat. Maybe I could walk on. This just isn't normal behavior for a man. It isn't normal behavior for this process to start that begins to reveal to you that the life you've been living is less than the life that he's ordained for you to have. That the way you've been living, the way you've been thinking and walking and talking, the boat you've been floating in is not really where God had you when He created you in His likeness and His image. And then, you know, I, I talked to you about how He was the only one that stood up and at least swung the sword, right? He at least took a whack at it. I mean, you know, He, he hit the guy and... and <laughs> this guy that let him borrow the boat, begin to walk on water and begin to stand up. I've I've told you, I like the Peters. If you've ever lived life long enough, you need a couple of Pete's to stand up for you. And Pete at least stood up for the Lord. I think, I think Pete gets a bum rap through most of the story of the gospels because he, you always see him first in line. He's first to open his mouth. He's first to take a chance. And, and sometimes when you go first, you fail a lot. Right? If you're the first one to do something, there's no, there's no protocols. There's no, there's no pattern. You're just stumbling forward. And you see Pete, he's always willing to run ahead of the rest of them and at least try. So he loans him his boat. He asks to walk too, and you see this transformation begin to take place, and the other 11 are remaining silent, but at least he's willing. Thou art the Christ, right? You, we talked about it. Thou art the Christ. First one to receive and it shocks the Lord. And he says, upon this, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That, that rock of revelation knowledge, you've all heard it before. I, I want to say to you that he'll build his church upon the ability of people to hear information that's not normal. That when you're ready to receive stuff that other people dismiss, that when you're ready to open your ears to a voice that you cannot see, I will build my church upon people that begin to understand the imperceivable, that people that will move beyond the norm of what the standard is and the culture in which they live and begin to open their eyes to live by the invisible kingdom of the living God. That, my friends, will be able to withstand the hell of this earth. That, my friends, is the church, a community of people that have recognized their relationship with Christ, not because they could observe his miracles, not because they could observe his kindness, but because their eyes were open to the reality that he is the almighty, the El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the creator and the sustainer of all of life, and that he is not a judge He is not a condemner, but he is one that comes to forgive and to embrace unconditionally without restrictions, unlike the norm that you and I call religion of the last several hundred years, unlike the Pharisees, unlike the Western American, if you measure up, then I'll let you in. He said, upon the ability to see the God bigger than the culture around, I'll build a church. And you know the story. He denied the Lord, right? He refused to acknowledge and to refuse to acknowledge that you're my wife. I'm returning the shoes. I took Hampton out yesterday for his 11th birthday. I've decided I hate birthday parties. Have you ever been to birthday parties? Yes. I hate the birthday parties. Yeah. I have 11 grandchildren. When you go to birthday parties, the grandkid doesn't even know you're there. Yeah. They get done opening the gifts and they don't know what you got them. They got so much. They don't know what came from pops. I don't like it. If I'm going to buy you a gift, I'll at least want you to know I gave it to you. Uh, you'll get it in a minute. Truth. So I stumbled on this reality, forget the birthday party, let me take the kid shopping. There you go. Why? Because it's the time, not the gift. Oh, you'll get this in a minute. Right. They'll forget the gift next week and want something else, but guess what they'll never forget? The time. The time. Yeah. So Hampton and I are out and we're, we're buying stuff. And it takes stuff. He's a shopper. Good God he's like his mother. Sure. He, <laughs> she's He's a shopper. It takes quite a while. And, and as we're checking out of Dunham's, uh, the, this gentleman looks at him and says, So, son, this is really nice. And, and uh, he, he said, uh, is it special? Because yeah, it's my birthday. And he goes, well, this is kind of interesting. He goes, who's that? He goes, oh, he's my pop. He'll buy me anything. <laughs> and we walked out of the building. And he goes, thanks, pop. See, I want you to understand something. To acknowledge me as pop was enough. When you acknowledge that you know the identity of someone and that you're willing to acknowledge that they're more than what other people see. It's true. When you acknowledge that you're the most beautiful woman in the world, other people see a woman. I see the best of the best. When you can see beyond what the culture sees, and recognize the identity. Thou art the Christ. When Peter denies the Christ, he simply acknowledges that he's what everybody else sees. He's the man that needed to be killed. He just stood with the crowd and said, yeah, beat him and strip him. See, to have revelation knowledge is to see beyond what the crowd sees. To have revelation knowledge is to see the image of God within the man from Nazareth. To have revelation knowledge is to see beyond what you can see on the outside and see the heart of the soul of the person created in the image of God on the inside. Oh, that in this room we would see beyond Lana's exterior veneer and see the soul that God created in his image. See upon that Community of friends that have the ability to see each other the way God sees and made them. Hmm. No weapon can destroy that because you're not seen by what you can do or produce, what you can give, but you're seen as the image and the likeness of God. That's an entirely different level of understanding. It's an entirely different level association. Now we are in relationship, not because we evaluate, but because we see the image of the God on the inside. You see, I actually think that when confronted with the death of Christ, Peter did not know that. I think he did not understand or maybe he was beginning to understand greater love have no man than this, that he laid down his life for a friend. And he goes, I, I, I can't acknowledge that. You know how many people today in the world cannot acknowledge that God himself would lay down his life for enemies. He would lay down his life for the other political party. He would lay down his life for people that are not American. He would lay down his life for people that don't even believe like he believes. It's hard for us in any culture to believe that God supersedes the culture in which we live. That God lives outside of human culture. He lives beyond it. He lives above our opinions and our agendas. He lives outside of the norm of humanity. It is hard for Peter who has grown in his own transformation when faced with the beating of the master to acknowledge that there is a being that forgives those that kill him, that forgives those that harm him, that doesn't demand vengeance, but that simply raises his arms and dies at the hand and says, Father, forgive them that's the gospel. Can I suggest to you that you and I face this every day of our lives? Can I suggest to you that every day of living this human experience, we are disappointed by other people. We are hurt by those whom we love, and we have the opportunity to be more than what people see. We have the opportunity To allow the Christ in us, the hope of glory, to forgive those that have harmed us. If we do, no hell can prevail. If we live that, no weapon formed can prosper. But that's a higher calling than agreeing on a doctrine called Baptist or Lutheran or Pentecostal. That's a higher thing. That's a deeper thing that'll change you, it'll confront you, it'll hold you in the grip, and when you are unable to acknowledge the reality of its existence, you'll run. And you'll go hide in the corner of an upper room until Mary comes and says he's alive. Until the first apostle, who is a woman, Anybody here? Until Mary goes to the apostles and says, I have seen. And he's going to Galilee. And then she walks over in the corner where Peter is huddled and says, He called you by name. You have to feel that, don't you? This man who would, you too, Pete. That's traumatic. That is traumatic to know that you have failed to live up to the standards of love and yet he loves you anyway. Listen, I, 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 I expect myself to sin and fall short. Yeah. I just want you to know I expect to lose my mind tomorrow. <laughs> I expect not to live up to the rules of the church, whatever they may be. But I like to think that maybe I could love. That my spirit convicts me not of the rules that the church has put on me, but of the failing to forgive and to love like he does. I don't get up and repent over cussing. I get up and repent over not having loved like he loves of failing to see in other people the value that he put in them. Over that, I repent. Over that, I weep. Over failing to be the image that he created me to be. And I hide in the corner until Mary comes and says, and you, Q, and you. Can you feel this? He invites us back to the table where we see the Trinitarian God and we're invited to live in that relationship. Mm. I thought I knew who I was. I thought I knew who he was. And then they nailed him to a cross. And at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, I, I thought I knew. But they drug him to the cross, and there his identity was made known. And there, my identity was revealed. And there, at the cross, changed my life. Hmm. This nonviolent, non-judgmental, non-condemning God hmm, it's the same God that led a Martin Luther King to resist the injustices with a nonviolent, hmm, it it led Gandhi to do the same. We could use a few of those to recognize the injustices of our culture and respond to it in a nonviolent way. We could use a bit of that. We could use the church standing up And recognizing that's not right, and my response to that is to stretch up my arms and stand in silence. Am I making any sense? It does have 21st century application. I promise you. It does speak to us today. And I kind of understand, Peter, if if he had just stayed dead, this would have been better. (laughs) He didn't. I'll go to the Galilee. Go tell him I'm going to the Galilee. I'm going back to where we first met. Uh, I, I know you're gonna go back. I already know that when you get challenged that you don't measure up, that you already go back to what you think is normal. That you already return to your blankie that you return to your way of thinking, your way of walking, your way of being, because when you see the reality of how you were created to be, you just go back to what's normal. You just go back to what's comfortable. Just tell him, I already know he's going fishing. Don't you remember the verse? Peter says, I'm just gonna go fishing. I'm gonna go back to the boat. I'm just going to return. I give up on this Christianity thing. I give up on, I just go back to being what I understand. I'll go back to, when are we going to get back to normal? If I hear one more time that question, I'm just going to vomit. When are we going to get back to normal? Just like it just, I'll meet you in Galilee. He said, I'll just, I'll go there. And, and Peter gets back in the boat. And that's the third time that the Lord is at the shore and they're in the boat. But can I tell you something? The first time he stood in the boat and taught. The second time he got in the boat and they reached the other side. This time he ain't getting in your boat. Third time. Hey, how you doing out there? (laughs) Not well. (laughs) How you doing with that when you go back to what you think you know? When you go back to your way of, to your opinion, what you think, when you go back, how's that working for you? Well, we ain't catching nothing. Right? And John looks up and says, Hey, it's the Lord. Notice the reaction to it this time. Peter jumps in the water. He doesn't ask the Lord to get in the boat, he gets baptized. He immerses himself and he comes to the shore. And Right? You know the story. I don't have to tell you the story. You're, you're all theologians here. You, you, you know the story. And he comes up on the shore and, and he takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. and he, Oh, sorry. He just feeds him breakfast. Yes, he does. There's more here than you think. It's more than breakfast. He took. He blessed. He broke. He gave. It's You think it's breakfast. It's not breakfast. It's the Eucharist. It's Remember the upper room? Now remember, he doesn't need an upper room. He can do it on the shore. It's, you love me? You love me? You love me? Mm. Then feed other people. If you love me, feed them. Where did we meet you? I was naked. I was hungry. I was. If you're going to love him, you've got to feed them. If you're going to love him, you got to treat them. The way you love him is to see him in them. When you see him in them, you can't love him and hate your brother. No, but if you love your brother, you love him. Are you Against that, hell can't win. Feel the gospel. Feel the transformation and the traumatic reality that's going on in the peat. <sighs> well, this ain't normal. This is normal. And now to my sermon. (laughs) This is the sermon. This is not what you think. We are not drunk as you suppose. This is not what you, he stands up and he goes, listen, I understand that if you keep looking at life on the basis of your observation, if you try to make sense out of what's taking place, you'll miss it. This is not what you think. This is that that the Joel spoke about. In order to understand what's going on now, you got to look backwards into the prophetic unction of God because all that's taking place now was prophesied. Then this is the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that has ripped the veil of the temple and now moved into you, and you are the temple. I am the temple, and the God that has come is now inside of you, and the many-membered temple of God is us. This is not what you think. You've got to see it. And 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 had died on the Sinai as Moses came down with the law. You remember? Moses comes with the law and 3,000 people die. <laughs> Peter announces the spirit and 3,000 people get saved. This ain't normal. There were 120 of them when they dedicated the temple and the glory fell when they were in unity. And now there's 120 on the steps of the temple that's minus a veil and the power of it. This is not the first time that people are doing a liturgy. Just uh, do, do you, oh, I hate that thing. About 34 years ago, there was a man by the name of Zacharias, and he was in the temple. And there were people in the temple and people outside the temple, and they were just reading the liturgical prayers. They were just reading. They were just doing church. This is normal. Not expecting much, much like you. Just not expecting much. Just just reading the prayers. People outside, people inside just reading the prayers, just listening to Pastor Q, not much as just doing the normal thing. And Gabe shows up. (laughs) You know Gabe. He's the messenger from God that lives in the presence of God and he comes to say, you're going to have a son. And Zacharias goes, have you seen her lately? Isn't it just like a man? Talk about what she looks like. (laughs) Never. you. Sorry. And he goes, <laughs> I'm Gabriel, you wow. dingling. But I love this part. He said, Because you have not believed my word, you will be mute. I will shut your mouth. Because you did not believe my word, I'll have to shut you up or you'll screw up what I've said. You know how many times God gives you a word, and then He looks at you and says, shut up. Because if you don't shut up, you'll outtalk what God prophesied. At the beginning of the temple, the glory fell. Zacharias is on the steps of the temple, and the glory comes and says, you're going to have a son that's going to preach the Christ. And now on the same steps of the same temple, the Holy Spirit comes and He unlocks their mouth and Babel is reversed. Am I making any sense? This ain't normal. This is not normal. People think they're going to come back to a normal church. They're looking to go back. And can I tell you something, in the last year what God has done is destroy the normal. The entire last year It's nothing more than God saying, I'm going to destroy everything you call normal. I'm going to rip it up and tear it out because you've been living in your boat. You've been living in your thinking and in your walking and doing your thing. And watch this, I'll rip normal out of the world. It ain't going back. It ain't going back. And many people will never come back to the church, unlike what everybody's prophesying because they just want church to be normal. And normal will never cut it again. Normal will never let you go through the moments of this time. You're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and the world's going to call you drunk. Am I making any sense? There is no more normal. Every time God invades culture. When he built, built a temple, when he got ready to make you the temple, there's no more normal. Well, what's our response to that? I'm ready, guys. What's our response to this? Well, you remember the gospel that I read as part of the lectionary just so I can tie it in? You remember Nicodemus going, How can I be born again? That's not normal. It's not normal. How do I enter back into the womb of my mother? How does this happen? And Christ goes, Why are you so confused? Why are you so confused? For the wind blows and the wind goes, unless you be born of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and it's not normal. What meaneth this? What shall we do? What's, Bishop, what, what do you want us to do? We, we grasp it. There's no more normal. The church isn't going to be normal. The world's not going to be normal. The Spirit is here. What shall we do? And I'm going to quote another prophet. I'm not going to quote Joel, but I'm going to quote the prophet Bob. Prophet Bob. Bob Dylan said, The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer, my friend, is that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes, that you can see more than what's obvious. But that you can see what He sees. It'll solve your marriages. It'll solve everything in your life where you can see others the way they truly are. That's what it means to be born again. To see yourself as a child of God, accepted and beloved, and to see others the same way. To allow yourself to come to the same table and see yourself reflected Welcome into the salvation of God. Whosoever comes will be saved. Stand with me. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time.